Zara Billu. Zara is a community organizer, a civil rights attorney, and executive director of the Council on American Islamic Relations, CARE, the San Francisco Bay Area chapter. More than a pleasure to have Zara with us. Zara, good afternoon, and welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. Um, I have mentioned before, and I don't know if you know, Zara, that I am married to somebody who was raised in a Muslim family. And although he does not practice in Islam and we don't uh, raise our children as such, I'm definitely aware and interact with Muslims more than perhaps some, you know, in the United States. Donald Trump has made some outlandish remarks with regard to the Muslim community, abandoned all Muslims coming into the country, didn't think that FDR's idea of internment camps like Manzanar back during World War II was such a bad idea, uh, you know, floated around the idea of, of ID cards, and of course nasty comments about anybody being related to a terrorist um, you know, being taken out, and my thoughts went to that six-month-old child left behind by the terrorists, the right. uh, murderers in San Bernardino, California. Now Ted Cruz, who I've always said probably believes more of what Trump says than Trump does, um, mm-hmm. ha- has come up with a plan to target, quote, Muslim neighborhoods, um, and, and, and I, and I, I want to talk about this because CARE says, um, first of all, this is uh, un-American. Before we get to that, Zara, Does this speak to an ignorance of not just Ted Cruz, but many Americans, with the exception of perhaps Dearborn, Michigan, where there is a huge Arab Muslim population? The overwhelming majority of Muslims that I know, including my in-laws, don't live all together in, quote, Muslim neighborhoods. They They live in very diversified neighborhoods where most of the people in their neighborhood are most likely white. I mean, that's the reality of America is that there are fewer and fewer enclaves of of minority groups. Yes, some people will live as neighbors when they first move to the United States because they want to be where their friends and family are. But growing up, my brother and I were the only visible Muslim students in in our public high school in Southern California. It's that's the norm. I want to uh, talk about how, you know, CARE has said and, you know, you representing not just CARE, but specifically uh, the San Francisco chapter, how... How is this un-American? And I agree with you, but explain to people listening, you know, so they can really understand. Whenever I, I work with members of the Muslim community on why they should know their civil rights, one of the first things that I say to them is that the founders of this country advocated for the Bill of Rights because they understood how frightening and horrific it can be when government goes unchecked. So really at the baseline, the First Amendment gives us the right to practice our religion freely without fear of government intrusion, government oppression, or anything of that sort. And what Ted Cruz is suggesting is counter to the First Amendment, that the government would target people based on their First Amendment-protected activities. And so for for me, that's what it comes back to, is that this is not just about Muslims. If he wants to talk about doing it to Muslims today, what stops him from doing it to Black Lives Matter activists tomorrow, to Christians and Jews the next day, right? That's the frightening direction that his suggestion leads us in. Okay, so when we when we listen to comments, and Ted Cruz had made comments about former Mayor Michael Bloomberg, um, who was a Republican, an independent, you know, but more siding with Republicans, and that, you know, he did this, in a sense, when he was mayor, and that uh, Bill de Blasio isn't. Well, first of all, I haven't seen any difference in level of attacks in uh, New York City, but that's not what Mayor Bloomberg did. What Mayor Bloomberg did really hasn't gone away, which is that there's a relationship between local and federal law enforcement and the Muslim community, if you see something, say something, certainly applies, and that there have been numerous uh, attacks here and in the U.K. thwarted because of that relationship, correct? 
I think it's also important to keep in mind that they have been sued for some of those programs because those two are challenging. When we look at the way the See Something, Say Something program lends itself to racial profiling, even among tipsters, we run into problems. And so, yes, attacks have been thwarted, but arguably some of those attacks were created by law enforcement informants and provocateurs, as we've seen in Southern California and across the country, where Law enforcement sends in people who are targeting the vulnerable members of the Muslim community, those who are mentally ill, those who might need money, and attempting to entrap them, and then stopping a plot. And so parsing out the numbers of how many plots have been stopped because of law enforcement surveillance is challenging. So to your point, like, the surveillance is happening in New York. There are multiple ongoing lawsuits in New York based on the police activity there. And, yes, some plots have been thwarted, but I I would argue that that data is murky because of the way law enforcement has also targeted vulnerable members of the community to create plots. When you have such a rhetoric, you being a Muslim and the Muslim community, and especially when you have attacks like we saw uh, with 30 people died um, this past Tuesday, are you are you scared to go to work? Are you scared to leave your home? What do you feel? Constantly, when we hear news like that, the, the concern first thing in the morning is please don't let it be a Muslim. Because even though I didn't know the attackers in Brussels and the attackers anywhere else, I worry that because I wear a headscarf and I'm visibly a Muslim, that I'm going to be associated with that. And that's a challenge that I think many minority communities are struggling with and that the Muslim community faces increasingly in, in recent years. On top of that, when you consider that mainstream politicians, I think that for a long time we weren't willing to call them mainstream, but the way the primaries are playing out, like these voices are becoming very mainstream, that mainstream politicians are urging discrimination and harassment of the Muslim community makes it more socially acceptable. And so we've seen an increase in attacks on mosques and Muslim organizations and in attacks on individuals across the country, everything from targeting pregnant women to just this afternoon we got a call at our office about someone who was coming out of a a lunch outing and someone yelled at them and said, you don't belong here, go back to your country. That's terrible, but one could argue that there are people of different groups that get yelled at. For me, it's some of the things that go beyond the yelling or what the words can lead to in, in violent actions. I know the answer to this, Zara, but I would like you to answer it for people listening. You said that you wear a head covering, which is called a hijab, a headscarf, correct? Correct, yes. Okay, so, heard... so for, peop- for people that say yeah. to you, and I've had people say to me, <laughs> I don't understand, why don't they just take it off? I mean, you know, if I, just take it off and then people won't know they're Muslim. Can, can you answer that for people that may be afraid to ask you that? I think that very often we're, we're balancing this question of liberty versus security, right? We talk about it in a national security context. So should the police respect everyone's rights or should they make us all feel, uh, feel safer but at the cost of our values as Americans? For me, wearing my headscarf is very much a part of my American identity. I grew up cherishing the First Amendment and our right to practice our religion. And so when I think of the, the question of taking off my headscarf, for me, that's the violent anti-Muslim activists winning, and that is the terrorists winning. So wearing my headscarf is both a demonstration of my faith, but also my my commitment to my American values. Wow. Very, you know, that's a very strong statement, and I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you said that. Um, does it shock you, or are you not surprised, that with the rhetoric that Donald Trump puts forth, and Cruz, but even more so Trump because of his numbers, that approximately half of the Republicans uh, support him, and that even some Democrats like this idea of like a Muslim ban. 
uh, knowing history, mm-hmm. not just with the Jews and you know the Holocaust, but even you know going back to the Crusades and the Inquisition, um, do, does does this surprise you and shock you that this is an attitude in the United States of America in 2016? I'm frightened, and and actually, like I don't think of like history that far back. I'm thinking it was less than a hundred years ago that we sent Japanese Americans to internment camps. It is every day on our streets across this country that unarmed black men are, are shot by police. And so I'm frightened. I'm not surprised because of sort of the context that we're living in, because of what's going on even in recent history. But I'm frightened about what could happen in, in the next few months. I think six months ago, had you asked many of us, it, just, it felt unreal. It felt like I've, I've compared it to, you know, a story plot on Scandal or House of Cards. But we are now living it, and that is a terrifying possibility. When you talk about the terrifying possibility, I would imagine you're referring to the possibility of Donald Trump being our president. What do you really think, being that I think he's full of hot air and being that he would have to get things past Congress, although we do have a Republican majority, I think they'll lose that majority in the Senate, maybe not in the House, just looking at numbers. Uh, And then, of course, there is, um, you know, throughout the world, you know, attitudes and alliances that we have uh, as an international community that we need to have, Uh, not just financially um, and and diplomatically, but, uh, you know, militarily. Um, So what are you afraid will happen? What do you really think will happen if Donald Trump becomes president? So the thing is, I'm I'm equally terrified of of Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, right? Just last week, they were competing to see which... uh, who of them could place a more anti-Islam person on their advisory committees, one of them bringing out Waleed Ferris, the other one bringing out Frank Gaffney. And even if neither of them win, what I worry about is that whoever wins in this process, we've normalized anti-Muslim rhetoric, right? That it is far more socially acceptable today to go on television and talk about banning Muslims or patrolling Muslim neighborhoods, imaginary Muslim neighborhoods, than it was a year ago. And so even with someone else winning, neither of those candidates, what's happening in the process is that we've made it socially acceptable to speak of Muslims in a way that we don't speak about any other minority community in our country. Most Muslims that I know, and I think the numbers, the stats show that most Muslims are Democrat or tend to vote Democratic in this country, not all of anything. There's no, there's usually not 100% anyway. Um, but <clears throat> I was very surprised, not only in Dearborn, Michigan, but even I've seen things by care, like Hussam Ailoush is a friend of mine. I've seen things he's posted. He seems to be pro-Bernie. And I was very surprised. Um, talk to us about that, because Bernie Sanders is a Jewish man, one. And there, there, there is this misconception that, you know, all Muslims hate all Jews and vice versa. And then two, that he has not been very clear with regard to the Middle East. And if you look back to me, Hillary Clinton has been more pro two-state solution and pro-Palestinian than Bernie Sanders. So I, because I, I'm pro-Hillary, and I, I kind of scratch my head at such support for Bernie Sanders out of the Muslim community. The Jewishness secondary, uh, you know, be the fact that he's Jewish, but, you know, his uh, position or lack of or not lack of being vocal enough about his position with regard to uh, Israel and Palestine. There, that, that's such a great question. I think there's a few pieces to it. The first is, you know, you named it. It's a misconception. Muslims don't hate Jews. That's not an inherent part of our faith or, or practice. And I worry about the fact that many times when we're talking even about issues in the Middle East or foreign policy in general, that sometimes it's it's seen as a religious conflict, right? So when we think of ISIS, we see it as a religious conflict. I would argue that in many of these cases, it's a geopolitical conflict. And so if we reduce it to a religious conflict, we can never adequately resolve it, right? It's that the problems in Israel and Palestine are not based on faith. They're based on land. They're based on power. 
they're based on apartheid. So that's the first thing, is that the Muslim community is not predisposed to opposing a Jewish candidate. That is indeed a misconception. <clears throat> the other thing, coming up as, as someone who is old enough now that I've voted in a few presidential elections, but young enough that I wasn't voting pre-9-11, I remember the conversation about a Muslim voting bloc. If we could all, if we could get all seven to nine million Muslims in the United States to vote for the same candidates, we could exercise real power. And I, I think that we're now evolving past that desire because we recognize that the Muslim community is one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse, religious communities in the country and in the world. And so we're not going to come to agreement about priorities or perspectives or even strategies. And we see that in how the Muslim community, for example, engages the current administration with some people working very closely with the Obama administration and others being very critical of his use of drones, of his deportations and his surveillance and so on. And so that diversity, I think, is what makes us stronger. And so what we're seeing in the polls pre-election is that the Muslim community is split, is that there is a lot of support for Hillary, but there's growing support, particularly among, I would say, younger Muslims for Bernie, who are mobilizing on social media and phone banking and so on. The last thing is about the difference between Hillary and Bernie. I'm I'm not sure that I, I would say that either is is great on on Middle East peace or on foreign policy. But I know, for example, that this past weekend, a lot of young Muslims were very appreciative of the fact that Bernie decided to sit out the APAC convention, and then compare that to many of the critiques of Hillary's speech at the APAC convention, which people said was far more right than than even what we heard from some GOP candidates, right? I, I don't think that we could say that there's agreement in the Muslim community about the two-state solution being the solution. Many people are saying that that's just not possible now. But at APAC, and one so, of the things I have to say is, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but at APAC, one of the things I have to say is the, the crowd cheered when she spoke against the rhetoric coming uh, from Donald Trump and the hate. And I have to commend many rabbis and Holocaust survivors who are just saying, no, and we said never again. We didn't just mean for Jews. We're going to be back with our guest. We're talking Talking about the rhetoric coming out of Donald Trump's mouth, and most recently Ted Cruz talking about patrolling Muslim neighborhoods. Our guest says it's anti-American, and by the way, it's very unrealistic. Most Muslims live in your neighborhood and mine. Let the patrols begin. We'll be back. Our guest, community organizer, civil rights attorney, and executive director of the Council on American Islamic Relations Care in the San Francisco Bay Area chapter. I also want to point out that this is a Muslim organization. Zara is a woman, and she's executive director of their San Francisco Bay Area chapter. I say that because there's another misconception that all Muslim women are oppressed, and I hope she's not listening. But if you've ever met my mother-in-law, that is not true. (laughs) That is not true. I'm going to be killed for that, you know. I mean, uh... (laughs) fortunately, my husband's not listening. Hopefully, his family isn't. um, any, anyway, I, I love her. I love her. But, you know, she's a she's definitely a strong woman. Um, th- this plan to, quote, target uh, target Muslim neighborhoods um, is also ridiculous because the idea that from driving or walking down the street 
you're going to somebody is going to stand on the street corner and go they're building a bomb in their backyard i'm i'm sorry i'm not trying to make fun or light of, no, this, but you're of right. terrorism but i mean seriously what like for example we don't know even in even in belgium they can't even find a guy who was on camera ran through a bunch of people and was going to blow himself up 2 days ago uh never mind you know i, I mean they you know a much smaller country in a a smaller area um, you know, they they don't know what necessarily is going high, behind closed doors. And, and speaking to that, I have so much to talk about, but we, only, we have limited time. Assimilation. People talk about assimilation and talk about American Muslims being different. Uh, do, you, do you find just, you know, uh, from your experience that American Muslims are different than, let's say, at least the Belgian Muslims that are being referred to in this one area where they all do seem to live together? Or not all, but many of them? I really prefer the word integration. Is that, yes, we are... I think in the United States, because of the diversity of the Muslim community, because of our culture of, of integration as a broader country, right, of always welcoming immigrants and celebrating that, those differences, we're going to see people more at home, more comfortable, and more connected. It's different in Europe. We've heard a lot about the ghettoization of, of Muslim minority communities there and of other minority communities. But at the same time, I, I'm not sure, again, that it's just about the question of integration versus assimilation is that ISIS and others will continue to recruit vulnerable people if we are not getting better and being more honest about the problems that our foreign policy is causing and how that becomes then marketing for groups like ISIS. And and uh, speaking um, to um, – oh, we're out of time. We'll have you back. You were great. We will have you back. I thank you for taking the time to being with us, Zara. Uh, Zara Bilou, like I said, she's executive director of the San Francisco Bay Area Chapter of CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations. Follow her on Twitter at Zara Bilou, Z-A-H-R-A-B-I-L-L-O-O. CARE's website is care.com. And by the way, there's a, an Islamophobia organization if you want to go there, Islamophobia.org. And they can give you all information on their research on what has been happening.